Welcome to the podcast, and we've got a great one. Don't I always say that? Well, look, I'm not going to put this up unless it's good, and that goes for every single one of these things, and this is really special today. Chris Shepard, also known as the world's greatest chef. I'm not kidding. The Rob Report named him that. But what's most important is that you enjoy the food that he prepares for you, whether it was at Underbelly, Georgia James, one-fifth, here at NRG Stadium. He's the man. He's Chris Shepard, and his story is fascinating. How do you find your passion in life? He found it, and so many people benefit from it. Let's hear from him, Chris Shepard. Joining us right now in the Hyundai Texans radio studio is the world's greatest chef, Chris Shepard. Can I call you that? It's, you know, whatever. <laughs> I mean, you were named by the Rob Report the best chef in the world. How does that feel? Uh you know, it's super. It gives me high anxiety. Let's just put it that way. Um, you know, not knowing that's what was happening, right? And then getting off a plane and seeing that was uh, pretty. Like, I didn't really know what to do with that. Like, <laughs> you can't process you, that. Yeah, you can't process that. It's just like when you know. And I asked Lindsay. I was like, "Did you know this was happening?" She said, "But they just asked for some photos, but we didn't know what it's for." And like, you know, I'm standing in the airport and I'm looking at it, going, "Um." Hey, you might want to look at this because I'm right. not really sure what this is trying to say. And you know, it's very humbling and nice. Um, it's super good for our city. You know, yeah. it's good to bring eyes to Houston mm-hmm. um, on a culinary level more and more. So, um, you know, if that's what it is, that's what it is. And it's really, it's really nice. It's really nice, but it, uh, you know, it's a lot of pressure <laughs> <laughs> gets added into it. But um, as long as it does something for our city, I'm good with that. Is what you do an art or a science? I think it's a little bit of both, um, but it's also trying to balance the two to be playful and fun at the same time and not uh, overdo it um, and give people something that they can really grasp onto and, ex- you know, have an experience in life that uh, when they're dining that, that is comforting at the same time. When did you realize you had the passion to do this? Uh, a long time ago when I was a kid. You know, like I, a teenager I, or – I got a 13-year-old and it was uh, he probably, doesn't know how to make an egg yet. We're you know, working my, on it. My parents <laughs> – my parents got me cooking young, mm-hmm. um, but it wasn't until later in life when it was really like, do I, what do I want to, you know, late in high school, like, what am I going to do? Like, go to college, and everybody's like, you should go to business school. And I was like, what am I going to business? You know, like, right. what are we talking about here? And then it was like, I, got, I took some classes. I was like, I, I don't want to do anybody's taxes. Right. I don't want to be a lawyer. I don't want to, what is it that I'm truly passionate about? And I was like, I just like to cook. Yeah. You know, I'm cooking for friends, and. I was like, well, I'm going to do this. And, you know, that was... But what, what, what was that age? Um, it was later, actually. I was probably 19, 20. Okay. Um, and it was one of those things, like, there was no food network at that time. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, going to culinary school. Like, my friends were like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm going to culinary school. I don't know what this entails yet, but I'm going to do it. And so I was like, okay, man, see you later. And I moved from Tulsa, and I moved down here to Houston. And, uh, you know, at the time, I was like, I'm going to go to school, and then I'm going to go back to Tulsa, and... Live there and cook, and and I found Houston, and I fell in love with it. So you and never left. You never, I never went left. back. I went back, and I interviewed at a couple of places, and I was like, there's no way I'm doing this. I'm staying where I'm at. Okay. There's so much more in Houston to offer, um, you know, and things that I've never seen before, and product ability, and, and you know, it was just, it was an amazing time for me personally. is eye-opening, and it still is that way for me. 
when did you become you the way you are now, though, with your style and your particular skill set? I know it evolves and it still continues to yeah. grow, but when did you realize, wow, this really is something? It's even bigger than I thought. I think when Underbelly opened, you know, mm-hmm. Catalan, you know, I worked for the Brennan family for a long time and then I did Catalan and, and um, I started to become my own at that mm-hmm. place. But it was when Underbelly came on that I just was like, this is me. Like, I can right. have my voice, I can have my voice at 100%. And show it through food, and then just learning that, and and then now having, you know, a bunch of staff that is kind of feeling that same thing, and like, okay, now you do what you want to do. You know what? Just let me taste it. Let's go through it, and let's work through dishes. But I want you to have your vision now too. And having worked for people along the way that have let me be me, just a little bit, to find out who that is will help them in the future. All right, you talked about the business side of things, of life, really. You're not going to do anybody's taxes, but clearly. <laughs> Uh, there's a lot of business in this. Is, so, yeah. so when does that get married? When you go to underbelly before that? When does that? When you, do those two skill sets you know, combine? They don't teach you that in culinary school. Yeah, you know, they, there's a lot of things like now. It's not so much about cooking. It's about everything. It's about the business. It's about um, you know. And I'm learning on a daily basis what these things are, and and you know, it's having good people around you that understand that. Right. That still let me be able to do what I do well. So. How hard is it to spot that in other people, the passion and the ability, not just passion. You might be passionate about it, not that yeah. good at it, or not that great at it anyway. It's, it's, it doesn't take that long to understand heart. Mm-hmm. And that's what it comes down to is like, do you have the heart for this? You may want to do this, but is it in your heart? And it's the questions that people ask. It's the way they move. It's the way that they think about things. Like, Just like when a cook grabs a knife or when they grab you know, um, an onion, how do, they, how do they go at it? Really? Yeah, you see it in people. Mm-hmm. You know, how do they move when they make dishes? How do they see when they plate something up? And it's it's pretty quick. And it's it's really, for me, and it's who I am, I'm very instinctual. So so if you go to a restaurant, and especially if the kitchen is somewhat exposed where you can see it, mm-hmm. I got to imagine that's, that's like going to a game with Bill O'Brien, right? <laughs> I mean, you're able to see things that nobody else really notices. Yeah, but it's taken me a long time to take away from that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And appreciate what it is. Okay. And it's appreciating somebody's vision and seeing what they're doing. And, and you know, I can be like, oh. <laughs> I mean, like, like my guys will go out to dinner and see that, and it's like, oh, my gosh, they're really getting hammered right now. We just kind of want to help. You yeah. know, but at a certain point, it's like, no, they got to work through that. They'll do it. And, like, sitting back and watching that happen and, and understanding that this is their vision, their side, what they do. And so I, I, I enjoy going out. Mm-hmm. You know, people are always like, are you very critical when you go out? I'm like, no. I got over that a long time ago. I love seeing your success because I, I love it when somebody's passionate about something and they're doing what they love. And your recommendation to young people, because so many people are wondering, what do I do with my life? What is my bliss? What is my passion? What would you say to somebody who's 16, 17 years old who's a little foggy on the whole thing? It's just to find out what you really love. You know, I didn't start off, you know, I, I, a lot of my friends growing up, they knew what they wanted. Knew what they, they thought they knew what they wanted. I should put it that way. Yeah. Um, and they're like, oh, I'm going to go be a doctor. I'm going to go do this. And now that, you know, like if I had to work the Monday through Friday, nine to five, I, I, don't, I don't know what I would do. Right. It would drive me crazy. Like, and so I found that what I can do is what brings me pure joy. Mm-hmm. And when you can do something that brings you pure joy, it's really hard to call it work because right. it's just your life at that point. And so find something that you truly love. I don't, it doesn't matter what it is. And don't listen to anybody else because when, you know, when I said I was going to culinary school back in 93, people were like, what is that? And I'm like, that's (laughs) what I want to do, man. You know? And so it was 
taking that inside and, and, and just saying, you know what, I'm going to do what I really feel passionate about and what I love and what gives me joy. All right, so you open Underbelly. It's a big success, critical acclaim. And then what? You weren't going to stop there. A lot of people would have said, all right, I've got Underbelly. It's going to be Underbelly from now until the end of eternity. Mm-hmm. But you move on from there and, and tell us what's next. And you worked with Whitney and you yep. did some other things. I think it was opening one-fifth that made me realize that I can't be in two places at one time. And if we're going to grow and you know, I get to bring some friends on, that was, or like Nick Fine, who's the culinary director now, but he came on as a chef at one-fifth. But in, in seeing all of our staff, Victoria, and all these people that work with us for a long time, giving them more opportunity is kind of what happened. And, and like looking at, I couldn't be at two places at one time. And I tried, you know, I'd work at underbelly for a little bit during service and I'd put on a different chef coat and go down to one fifth and do that and then come back down and then go back down and then go back, you know? And it was just like, it was a lot. And seeing that, how do you give people the opportunities that they need that I had as well? Um, is really a big, proponent of why we do these things mm-hmm. and if we didn't have the team and the staff we wouldn't open anything else but we did and we still do and so like it's it's giving the crew you know whether it be front of the house or back of the house anybody like the ability to grow better and grow more and we can do that together it makes sense you know and, and changing it it was one of those things we started looking for a steakhouse right and you know we had an loi on a property to a, a block away from Underbelly, and I was like, "Look, I don't want to do that." Okay. Underbelly for me has to change every day. The menu changes constantly, um, so I don't. I can do that. Our team can do that, but it's hard for to put that pressure on people. And so I was like, "I need." Underbelly was a restaurant that was consistently based on inconsistency. Right. And always wondering what's on the menu tonight. Nobody ever knew until five o'clock when we put it online, yeah. you know. And so it was hard, but I felt that there was a need for more consistent. And so I was like, well, we have a 200 seat restaurant. Let's put the steakhouse there. And then it became, well, what happens to the underbelly thought process? And it was like, well, there just happens to be a restaurant right in the middle right. that just, you know, didn't do so well. We could take that over and it's 76 seats. And so we, we created UB Preserve in the middle of it, and then we flipped one-fifth into Mediterranean. So it was, <clears throat> you know, three restaurants in six months, which was, you know. <laughs> That's tough. It's crazy. It was, yeah. it was absolutely crazy, um, but everybody in the group um, rose to the occasion. And it, it says a lot because one-fifth sometimes doesn't get the recognition it is because people are like, well, it's only there for 11 months, mm-hmm. and then it's gone. Um, so is it a restaurant? Is it a concept? Is it a thought process? What is it? But then when Texas Monthly came on and they did their list of best new restaurants and uh, Pat Sharp put each one of the concepts, each one of the restaurants, one-fifth, Georgia James, and UB Preserve as number one. And she was like, it's not a tie. These are all equally deserving to wow. be the best new restaurants in Texas. And it was like that was so good to happen for all of the staffs because – like everybody could share that joy. Right. There wasn't one restaurant that was like, oh, we didn't do it well, you know? Yeah. And so it was like everybody got to share a part of that. And so that's probably one of the highlights of my career was that. Fantastic. Now, we hear stories, and it's true with all businesses, really. It's hard to find really good people and keep really good mm-hmm. people. But in the restaurant business, that's really well known. Yeah. However, with you, is it different because – 
They want to be with Chris Shepard. They want to be with Nick. They want to work with you guys and pick up the knowledge and be around you. I, I think that we give people opportunity mm-hmm. um, that sometimes they don't get. You know, each one of the chefs, whether it be like Matt Staff at One Fifth or or Nick Wong at, at um, UB Preserve or Greg Peters at, at Georgia James and Victoria, like there's a box that they live in, but in that box they can do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. And so to have that opportunity to grow, it's really cool. You know, I don't have kids, but I do, and to see all of them <laughs> grow in the way that they have yeah. is really inspiring. And so, you know, and it's like myself and Nick and Victoria and Matt and everybody just running around from restaurant to restaurant every night and just checking on me, okay, what do you need? What do you got? What are you going you know, what do you, let's taste something. And they're like, right. okay, let's do this. And so it's it's really nice. And so that keeps people around. It keeps everybody engaged. And everybody is truly engaged. Tell me about Southern Smoke. Mm-hmm. Southern Smoke was um, is something that we started four years ago. Um, it was, we were doing culinary, we were doing dinners to raise money for culinary scholarships. And it was a great cause, and we, we did. We put one person through school, which was awesome. Um, but... The guest psalm that I had coming in to do these dinners came to me and was like, are you going to do that series again next year or this coming year? And I was like, I don't know. Why? What's up? And he was like, I got diagnosed with MS. And so if we could do one of these dinners that would put money towards research for our area, that would be awesome. He was like, not me. I'm cool. I don't need money. I was like, you know what? Let's. No, we're not going to do that. We're going to throw a party. We're going to throw a big party. And so it ended up what could have been just like a backyard barbecue with a couple of chefs, and we raised, you know, five or $10,000. We took over all the blocks around us, and we brought chefs in from around the country, and we did this thing, and it was super special. And it raised $181,000 that first year. We did it again the next year, kind of the same. We did 284000 the next year. And then the next year, Harvey came through. Um, and two days, you know, the day after, two days after Harvey was sitting in the restaurant, it's closed, and... I'm getting emails and text messages from chefs all over, like, and restaurant people, like, how do I get money into people in the service industry? I was like, I don't know. There's a lot of funds out there, but I, I don't know. And so I, I looked at Lindsay and I was like, look, and Nick, and I was like, look, we have to change. We need to do something for our industry. We need to take care of our own. Um, and so we worked through it, grew it, <laughs> grew the festival even bigger right. that year. And figured out a way, and now we can actually do it ourselves, but um, to do, I I said I didn't care whether you delivered milk, if you stocked wine, if you grew vegetables, if you owned a restaurant, if you were cooking a restaurant, if you were a dishwasher, a busser, it didn't matter. I don't care. Just put in an application. We ended up doing 139 applications. We we, uh, donated back half a million dollars. Wow. To those 139 families, which got us to think even more, what can we do? And so now um, we have taken Southern Smoke where a portion of it goes to MS and the other portion goes to our emergency relief fund. So anybody in our area or anybody around that's in the industry in a time of need, whether you twist your ankle and you don't have money to go see a doctor, you you know, or you cut yourself or burn yourself or whatever it may be. You have a dark night, you need to talk to somebody. Um, Whatever it may be, we want to be there for you. And so on a weekly basis, people are reaching out to us and there's a... There's an application process online, southernsmoke.org. Then there is a verification committee and an awards committee. And it's a very much a blind process. There's only one person that knows, and it's not me. I have no idea. I just get the email. It's like, we just donated $10,000 this week. 
we did five thousand dollars this week, and it goes from anywhere. I mean, last year after the festival, we did a hundred thousand um, dollars, and so it just it doesn't really matter. We just want to take care of our people, and now to the point, I think we're very very close at this point to having a a man twenty four hour hotline for um, for people that need to talk. You have a hard service, and you just like, man, I'm down. Wow. Well, you can call, and we'll have people there that understand our industry. And that's the most important thing. Because, like, if not, then I'm just talking like my mom, and she's going to tell me everything's going to be all right, you know, which yeah. is cool, too. But, like, for somebody to understand, like, this is what happened during service. All right, well, let's walk through this. Let's talk about it. Let's get this out on the table. And so that's going to be very inspiring for us. And it's just being able for people in our industry to feel like they have a safe place where they don't have to worry about, how do I go see a doctor and pay my rent? That's that's a hard thing to to deal with if you don't have insurance. Like we need to right. be somebody has to be there, and so that's us. That's and incredible. So, yeah, it's it's good, and we just hit the one point four million dollar donation mark in four years. That's phenomenal. Which is great, and so it's uh you know it is it's on a daily basis, and it's there every day, and so we're out raising funds, and you know especially I think, you know we've got the book coming out, and I just found out that. The book will be sold here at the stadium for Texans games. Right. And all of the proceeds, Aramark and, and the Texans have stepped up, then all of the proceeds from the book go back to Southern Smoke, which is one of the most emotional things that I've heard. Just right. people that are just like doing random acts of kindness to make sure that people in our industry are taken care of. Right. And so it's, it's, it's really nice. The title of the book? Cook Like a Local. Cook Like a Local. Yeah. Okay. Six ingredients that will change the way you look at the world. Um, do so, you reveal those here, or is this uh, you got to <laughs> well, buy the book to find out no, the ingredients? No, we, we did it completely different. Um, instead of, I didn't want to conceptually come into a book and say salads, appetizers, <laughs> yeah. you know, pork, chicken, fish, dessert. So we broke it up into things that can correlate across multiple cultures and multiple thought processes. So fish sauce, chilies, uh, soy, corn, rice. Uh, yeah, oh, so, okay. it's, so it's broken up into those kind of categories. You kind so, of reverse engineer a little bit here. Yeah. And it's sort of like the restaurant in a way. It's like we're not going to go in any particular order of things. No. I just, love that. You know, it gives you the ability to just kind of peruse through. And, and you know, it, and I just had somebody ask me, it's like, am I going to, you know, I'm going to buy the book, but I don't think I'm going to be able to cook like you. And I'm like, that's an incorrect statement. Right. Because our food is is more about the ingredient and the thought process behind it. And not so much it needs 37 steps to do. Okay. It's really kind of laid out for you, pretty simple, mm-hmm. um, but it's very flavorful. Yeah. And that's the food that we like to eat as cooks. Um, you know, there's the special occasion, fine dining, multi-course tasting menus that are really cool, and I love those. Yeah. But for the most part, I want on an everyday basis to be able to come home, marinate a chicken, cook a chicken, eat a chicken. Right. You know, and so that's the thought process behind it. But prepare it properly. But to also get people to understand what cultures these are Mm -hmm. and to go out and and talk to these people. And it's an underbelly way that we've been talking about forever. You know, you could walk in underbelly and there's 50 photos now that that preserve is 25 of people that inspire us in our city. And so the the goal has always been to be like, you know, we're going to give you the flavor of fish sauce, but now you need to go down to Saigon Pagalak and try this dish. Or, you know what, this is gochujang. Mm-hmm. a Korean fermented red chili paste, but now go out to Korean garden and enjoy it here. And so, and maybe while you're there, spark up a conversation and start mm-hmm. to learn more about the world that you live in now, instead of 
what your neighborhood is, you know, or your home. Right. But it's getting it to have the conversation because that's how I learned mm-hmm. was I go to London Sizzler and just sit and talk for four or five hours and they'd be like, come back in the kitchen. Let me show you this. And like, you're like, oh my gosh, I never even thought about that. You know? And so if you can start to have those conversations and not be afraid, break down those walls and barriers and thoughts, you know, and be able to enjoy food because it's the, the clearest form of communication. Right. You can always learn something through food, and then you can branch out to more things. Mm-hmm. But food is the basis of where we can start to have conversations. It cuts through all strata of society, yeah. really. What yeah. is the spice in here? That's the easiest question to ask. Mm-hmm. You know, or how did you cook this? Like, there's nothing around it other than food. And once you can have that, you can learn somebody. You can have conversations with somebody. You can listen. Mm-hmm. And that's the biggest part. And so we want people that this is not a book based on Houston. This is a book based on the way our world is and how you can go out and learn from people and appreciate who you are and who they are. Phenomenal. Cook like a local. Yep. How did you get involved with the Texans? How did this originate? What were the seedlings of this? Players (laughs) coming into the restaurant? How did that go down? It was tailgating. It was tailgating. (laughs) It was tailgating. You know, coming to the games and tailgating and and just being like, you know, someday I want to put some food in the stadium. Okay. You know, and uh, it just happened that I kind of, you know, talked to the right people. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you know what? Yeah, this could work. This could work. Oh, it's working. And so, you know, we're we're starting our sixth season um, as partners. And it's been a great thing. Uh, you know, we've tried, you know, we've done club level. We've done suite level. We did some on the, on the main concourse. You know, it's just like what works and what's fun and, and where do we see our food at. And right. so... You know, it's given us the ability to, uh, you know, nobody said live in this box, which was really kind of fun. Yeah. I was like, we'd have a meeting every year, and they're like, what do you want to do? I was like, what do you guys want to do? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. whatever you want. So we would come up with fun things. But it's also, you know, the first year we did this, I came in, I was like, we're putting the goat and dumplings on the menu up here, and people are going to, you know, we sell so many of it at the restaurant, people are going to love it. And I was like, it's not really a game day food. <laughs> you know, it was kind of like... It was very humbling, uh-huh. you know, because I, I would I, every time I'd see somebody go by, I'd be like yes, and then I'm like, well, well, they didn't really do that much of it, you know. And okay. I was like, let's rework this. Mm-hmm. What did I want when I was sitting out in the parking lot for the game with my friends, throwing football around or whatever? What did I want to eat when I came in? And that was where we're at now. So, um, and that's that. You know, it was the, just that first year where I was like, I'm going to do the restaurant food, and I was like, mm-hmm. yeah. No, we can take those interpretations and and do it differently, you know. So um, this year is is going to be pretty special. So got some cool stuff. So what what can you share with us? So on the club level, um, you know, we've always been doing – for the past three years, we've been doing a jalapeno cheddar dog with Mm -hmm. Tater Talk Hustle. And I was like, you know what? We need to change that. And uh, the the team told me, you know what? You're – going to catch a lot of, of backlash on that. They like it. They love it. And so they're going to, you know, there's going to be mm-hmm. some people that will be like, where's that at? And I was like, well, if we're going to change it, we need to do something better. <clears throat> it okay. just has to, like, we can't, the one thing you don't want to do is go backwards. And right. You don't want to stay the same. So we had to elevate that to a different place. And so um, one of the things we've been doing at the restaurant for a few years and had the conversation about how do we get it in here and finally we figured it out. Um, but we make bacon sausage, ooh, which is the theory behind it is that we take 
pork shoulders, mm-hmm. cure them like bacon, so it has a flavor, grind, put into a casing, and smoke it. And so when you bite into it, it looks like a, a sausage, if you will, or a hot dog, um, but has all the flavor of bacon, which... I think those will be popular. (laughs) Just a hunch. Well, we 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 started doing it, and I was like, "Man, I I don't know. Like that baking thing is kind of, you know, too much." And then we made it, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, yeah, it's the best of everything. We got to do this." And (laughs) so it started a whole other business program for us, really. And so, um, but we it'll be on this it'll be on the club over this year, and then we're going to do a Texans cheesesteak, which is kind of our you know. Delicious sandwich that you want to have, mm-hmm. and then clo- or in sweet packages. There's going to be the PB and J wings, the bacon sausage hot dogs, and then one of the dishes from the book, which is kind of a popcorn shrimp idea. Ooh. So it's a crispy shrimp, and then we make a popcorn butter, if you will. So it's like small shrimp. When you think of popcorn shrimp, you just but then we're actually tying the popcorn into it. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, I'm following, and yeah. it's good. And then a chicken and biscuit dish that is very popular, and then. Uh, we're going to bring some of the one fifth Mediterranean and okay, so excellent. Well, I mean, so much going on. I remember once the Texans were playing the Bills. I was at Underbelly the night before, mm-hmm. and you said, "Yeah, I'm uh, making half a buffalo in the parking lot, or something like <laughs> yeah. that." Yeah, we smoked a buffalo. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, <laughs> and they smoked the Bills the next day, so it, it all worked out. It was great. It all worked out. Well, Chris, thanks so much for the time. Thank you, Mark. It's SouthernSmoke.org. It is. It's yeah. Cook Like a Local. Yeah. And we're going to see you at the stadium all year long. Yep. And uh, you're a real blessing to us, and we really appreciate the time. And a blessing to so many. I love Southern Smoke. I love the restaurants, but I love what you're doing at Southern yeah, Smoke. So Southern, Southern Smoke this year, is, uh, our big festival is October 6th. Okay. So it'll be, you can leave the game here and head straight over. So yeah. it's Playing be... the Falcons that day, yeah. and then go on over. Yeah. So. Perfect. So all the information's on SouthernSmoke.org. Yes, it is. Yeah, Excellent. It's a huge lineup this year. It's outstanding, so. All right. There's a lot of people coming in. Sounds good. Thanks a lot, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. That's going to do it for the Vandermeer's View podcast. Check out all the other Texans podcasts right here or wherever fine podcasts are available. It's great to have you listening as always. Don't forget Texans and Green Bay on the road. It's August 8th to start the preseason. You can stream it live on your app or Listen to it on Sports Radio 610, the Bull 100.3 FM, or watch it on ABC 13. Check it all out, and have a great day, everybody. Go Texans!